Welcome to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Over the next hour, you'll discover unique ideas and perspectives about how to improve your health and the planet as well. Now, here are your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo. Welcome, hello, and bienvenidos. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I am Lorenzo Rosenzweig, and I have more than 40 years of experience as an environmentalist. I am also a writer, a photographer, a grandfather of six, and a watercolor artist. Hello and happy Wednesday. So excited to be here with you. My name is Jimena Yanez. I am an author, a health coach, and a Reiki and biomagnetism therapist. I am the mom of two, and I love to say I am an environmental advocate for us, for future generations. How are you today, Lorenzo? I'm very good, Jimena. Very happy to join you in this fourth episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Can't believe how fast this last week passed and eager to share with you valuable and practical knowledge on how, as individuals, we can contribute to a better planet and, at the same time, live healthier and more meaningful lives. And tell me, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Today is Mother's Day in Mexico, and my daughter is coming back from college. So I'm very happy and looking forward to enjoy the rest of the day with the complete family. Thank you, Lorenzo. Well, happy Mother's Day to everybody who's listening to us. And today, we'll talk about greenhouse gases, climate change, and our future. We will have Adrián Fernández with us today, Adrián is an expert on climate change with more than 30 years of experience on the subject, and he will join us during the second segment of the show. Yeah, so excited to have Adrián with us. So every week we engage in casual conversations to help you understand what is really going on, considering there's a lot of conflicting information on social media and the news. We want you to exercise your right to decide for yourself, so we offer facts that you can double-check later on your own. So, allow us to tell you the story of how we got into this environmental and health crisis. What are the odds if we fail to act during the next 7 to 10 years? And what are the things you can do for your personal benefit and, at the same time, to support global efforts towards a healthy planet? Yeah, and in the last episode, we review how eco-anxiety which is a persistent worry about the future of the planet and our lives, can become actually a powerful force for taking action. But you need to know that eco-anxiety is normal, and to feel uneasiness in the face of this ecological crisis, especially climate change, is completely a a normal thing. Yes, Jimena. Eco-anxiety arises as climate events increase, increase in magnitude and frequency. We have crossed the climate planetary boundary and human activity has been its primary driver. It's starting to draw on us, especially younger generations, that climate change is a threat to our civilization. Yeah, and there's still some naysayers that insist that climate change is a natural process of a planet and that human activity has no influence on it. So I think it would be fun to go back in time and tell the story from the very beginning. What do you think, Lorenzo? Wow, that's a great idea. I love doing these exercises of traveling in time. Let's go to the beginning. 
<clears throat> the story of the planet is impressive, and we let you understand how we got into this mess and why those who deny the abundant facts and compelling scientific evidence are wrong. Mm -hmm. Everybody keeps saying that carbon dioxide is the primary driver of global warming, and this might be confusing you. Did humans put all the CO2 in the atmosphere? No. CO2 has been present in the atmosphere since the Earth's formation, around 4.5 billion years ago. Back then, the atmosphere was mainly composed of nitrogen, CO2, and vapors, which leaked through cracks in the surface of this very hot planet. As the planet started cooling down, part of the steam of the water steam condensed and formed the oceans. The formation of the oceans dissolved a portion of the CO2 but large amounts were still present in the atmosphere. As time went on, microbes appeared as the very first life forms on Earth. They adapted and developed and life started to evolve. Evolution is the gradual process in which something changes into a different and more complex form, resulting in the development of new species. Jimena, what do you think <laughs> this species evolved into to survive? Well, I'm guessing some organisms start using CO2 as fuel for living, which draw down large amounts of CO2 from the atmosphere. So that makes me think of plants. Oh my, Jimena, <laughs> you are evolving into a scientist. This is amazing. Exactly. About 2.5 billion years ago, plants developed the ability to photosynthesize which is the function of creating glucose and oxygen from CO2 and water. This was possible with the intervention of an incredible ally, the light and energy from the sun. Photosynthesis has a powerful transformative impact on the atmosphere and life and burst with the sea when the CO2 was consumed. So about 30 million years ago, CO2 atmospheric concentration dropped to less than 300 molecules in every one molecule of air or 300 parts per billion. A number of scientific studies have estimated that the CO2 levels before the Industrial Revolution, let's say about 250 years ago, were about 280 parts per million. One per part per million is equivalent to one drop of water diluted into about 13 gallons of liquid, roughly the fuel tank of a compact car. So back to the story. Since then, this amount of CO2 has played an important role in the Earth's temperature. In a sophisticated and delicate balance of improbable coincidences, CO2 is one of the atmospheric greenhouse gases that kept the Earth's surface warm and cozy. Mm -hmm. Without this gas, the planet's average temperature would be around minus 18 degrees Celsius. Interestingly, CO2 allows the planet to be 33 degrees Celsius warmer, which allows life as we know it. So photosynthesis and CO2 concentration in the atmosphere were key factors for the development of life on Earth. Now, what I'm finding really, really fascinating is that for the last 30 million years, CO2 concentration in the atmosphere remained below 300 parts per million. Right? Exactly, exactly. During this period, CO2 never exceeded that concentration, but there were ages in which it was substantially lower. Ice ages occurred about every 100,000 years over at least the past half million years. 
these ages have shown a drop in global temperatures close to five degrees Celsius, and interestingly, have been accompanied by reductions in CO2 concentrations to levels below 200 parts per million. So Earth has had a cyclical ice ages with a significant drop in CO2 concentration, but never the other way, at least for the last uh, 30 million years. Yes, until, of course, some decades ago. Let's keep reviewing the timeline. Homo sapiens evolved from their early hominid predecessors somewhere between 200 to 300,000 years ago. But it was until the Industrial Revolution that CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere started to rise at a rate of, let's say, 0.17% per year as the result of massive emissions from the combustion of fossil fuels. The Industrial Revolution was built upon two things the combustion of fossil fuels, and two, large-scale deforestation, which is depleting the climate system capacity or Earth's climate system capacity for photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and let me step in with a third one that has become a large contributor to carbon emissions during the last decades. The intensive agricultural practices to feed animal proteins to billions of people around the world. Besides being responsible for 80% of deforestation, agriculture also accounts for one-third of the current greenhouse gas emissions. CO2 concentrations have been rising since the Industrial Revolution, and in 1998, we reached 350 parts per million. And fast forward, uh, 25 years later, we are beyond 415 and quickly approaching 450. In fact, This week, the CO2 concentration is about uh, 425, as these levels have not been seen on the planet Earth for the last 30 million years. I think this means we are stepping into uncharted territory. Exactly. One good way to put it, uncharted territory. That's what we are having indeed. Now, something very important is that the rise in global temperatures of the past century does not show the same increase in CO2. The relationship is direct but not linear, and this is because the climate is influenced by other factors besides greenhouse gases. Consider, for example, the suspended particles that mask up to 40% of the effects of global warming and natural natural phenomena like emissions from volcanic eruptions, changes in Earth's orbit around the sun, and energy exchange between the atmosphere and the oceans. All these factors contribute to the complexity of climate. Yet, Mm -hmm. if we look at how temperatures have changed over time, we'll see a faster rate of planetary warming since 1980, which matches the timeline in which the long-lasting 300 parts per million was exceeded. Yeah, over a very short period of time, global temperatures have increased by 1.1 degrees Celsius. And I cannot stop thinking... What will happen if we don't stop and reverse these human-made emissions? Well, one way to understand the impact that global warming will have on your health and quality of life, which already had but will get worse, is to visualize its effects in three scenarios based on the magnitude of the temperature rise. Mm -hmm. The first scenario, the most optimistic, would happen if by 2050, if by year 2050, we reduce accumulated CO2 emissions to only 300 billion tons of gigatons. 
since the Industrial Revolution, we have put into the atmosphere 2,400 gigatons, and our current emissions rate is about 40 gigatons each year. If we want to stay below the danger zone, we need to bend the emission curve in the next seven to eight years, starting now. now. Scientists estimate that say, staying below the danger zone will bring us close to a temperature increase of two degrees Celsius. This first scenario will only happen if we manage to keep the atmospheric CO2 concentration below 450 parts per million and the temperature increase below two degrees Celsius. <laughs> Unfortunately, underground oil reserves are estimated to be approximately 2,900 gigatons and profitability is one of the primary primary drivers of our economy, which explains the inattentive behavior of many governments and industries around the world. Yeah, and I understand that in this scenario, the ice melting will affect as many as 250 million people in coastal cities and island states in the Pacific Ocean. Yes, and warmer atmosphere will hold more water vapor, increasing the occurrences of heavy rainfall and flooding in some regions while intensifying droughts in other places. The rising temperatures will keep warming the oceans, sustaining the massive coral bleaching effect that is already happening in mm -hmm. the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the Western Pacific, and the Mesoamerican Reef. And also, habitats all around the world will be affected, as well as the capacity to grow food, and species in danger of extinction would increase their risk of disappearing. And this is the optimistic scenario if we manage to somewhat control our emissions. The other two scenarios will be the consequences of our indifference. Indifference and negligence. A second, yeah. less optimistic scenario that we must avoid is to keep burning fossil fuels using the oil reserves we just mentioned. Those emissions have the potential to rise temperatures by three to four degrees Celsius. This would put most of the population of the planet at serious risk as the average sea level will rise by more than 1.5 meters. In this scenario, all the coral formations in the oceans would disappear and with them, their enormous biological diversity. Besides that, 40% of the species around the world will be lost and cascading effects could occur such as the melting of the permafrost in the boreal zones, a phenomenon that would generate immense volumes of methane, a greenhouse gas many times more powerful than CO2 when it comes to trapping heat in the atmosphere. Yeah, and, and I can imagine that in this scenario, enjoying nature will be a faint memory in human history, right? The CO2 concentration will probably be around 500 parts per million, and humans would need to wear a mask to go outdoors. So playgrounds and outdoor sports and hikes, as we know them, will be gone forever. And the planet's food uh, generating capacity will be reduced by, I think, four, uh, 40%. I'm starting to realize the third scenario is somewhat apocalyptic, and we definitely don't want to em end up there. You're right, Jimena. Apocalyptic. Yeah. What a word. Yes. The upside is that this scenario, the apocalyptic scenario, will only result from doing nothing. 
only if we continue our patterns of production and consumption depending on fossil energy and keep placing 40 gigatons or more of CO2 into the atmosphere each year. This scenario would lead temperatures to increase by 5 to 6 degrees Celsius and will alter most of the marine currents, which have been key climate regulating mechanisms. One third of CO2 emissions end up in the oceans changing their chemistry. If we do nothing, oceans will become so acidic that most of the living beings would disappear. This will make the world nearly inhabitable and we would inherit a barren and climate dysfunctional planet to future generations with a climate mortgage that would not be resolved for hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, and what is overwhelming is that still a group of pseudo think tanks and communicators financed by the oil and coal industry claim that climate change is a scam and does not exist. This group, Jimena, and, and I, I, I really, Incredible. I get really upset when, when I see those interviews, but this group says that changes in the climate are part of the natural cycles. Some geological phenomena such as volcano eruptions and periods of oscillation of Earth's orbit around the sun. They insist that CO2 emissions released into the atmosphere between 1850 and today do not affect the planet's climate. However, they are missing the most important piece of the puzzle. For the last 30 million years, CO2 concentration in the atmosphere never exceeded 300 parts yeah. per million. Yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, uh, we will go into a pause and we will con continue our conversation in a few minutes. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to you. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. This episode is all about greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. We are very honored to have Adrian Fernandez Bremounds hey. joining us for this segment. <laughs> yes. Adrian is one of the most knowledgeable persons I know on climate change. He leads the Mexican Climate Initiative and has a scientific background and has worked in government as well. For 12 years, he has led ICM, the Mexican Climate Initiative, a think tank that brings to all us climate change solutions. Welcome, Adrián. Thank you so much for accepting to be part of this program. Yes, Adrián, it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lorenzo. Thank you, Jimena. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> so, Adrián, we prepared a few questions for you uh, for you to, to answer. So, the first question, it's a question we love to ask in this program. What was the event in your childhood that made you interested in the environment? Mm. You know, Lorenzo, I'm afraid my answer is going to sound a little bit conventional, perhaps. Maybe like the answer of many of our dear friends devoted to conservation of nature. Uh, honestly, when I was a kid, I used to watch TV programs related to nature and wildlife, and I thought I wanted to be something like a wildlife guard or forest keeper or something like that. Never had a doubt. Years later, when I was in high school and I took my first biology lessons, I thought, this is it. I found it. It is biology. It is nature. It is evolution. It is environment. I became a fan of Charles Darwin and the evolution, but also I became a fan of science in general. That's how I really uh, got sure I wanted uh, what I wanted to do in life. Well, I relate very much to that to that answer. Very similar in my case. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah, amazing. And um, can you visualize the moment, the moment, the when, where, and how it drew to you that climate change is real and is happening and Did this make you change something in your life? Uh, You know, Jimena, I think it was precisely about visualizing. It is difficult to find more shocking images 
than the ones of mountain glaciers disappearing or watching massive forest fires everywhere around the world that run out of control or watching thousands and thousands of people that lost their houses, their agricultural lands after the villages are hit by a hurricane. And as we know, because of climate change, we're going to have more intense and more frequency of climate or weather extreme events. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of my career, I worked on air pollution and health, first as a researcher and then as a senior manager within the National Environment Institute, which is a federal government agency in Mexico. It was nearly 20 years ago that I started working on climate change. I thought that any other environmental problem would become irrelevant if we lost the climate change battle. In fact, we know that climate change is much more than just an environmental problem. It is the single most important global problem that is threatening the possibilities for humanity to aspire for a prosperous world for future generations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not just that climate change is related only to environment. It affects all of us. Um, it's a, as you said, it, it's a global problem. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. Yeah, and, and, and this brings me to, reminds me of, of how many scientists and groups are working worldwide. One, I, I follow very closely the IPCC's reports, the International Planet on Climate Change group of expert reports. And the last reports state very clearly that in the face of climate change, challenges, humanity needs to make urgent and unprecedented changes. What, in your understanding, Adrian, are the issues or topics holding back governments to take action? Well, uh, let me just briefly add on, on what you just said about the IPCC. Just uh, one, one figure. Let, let me just mention the scale of the efforts that we need to make just for everybody that is listening to, to have a good uh, understanding of this. Uh, this panel of scientists has stated that we need to reduce our emissions of greenhouse gases at least 45% by the end of 2030. And that is just the beginning. Then we need to move even faster to reach the so-called carbon neutrality or net zero emissions. By the middle of the century, all this if we want to maintain the global warming within manageable questions. Now, to your question, I believe there is a series of factors that are holding governments, and let me add, holding people as well, to take sufficient action. I can think of at least three types of reasons why we are not acting. In the case of governments, what we need, first of all, is clear leadership from heads of state themselves. We have seen over the last decade that the level of involvement and the level of efforts of important countries regarding energy and climate change, for instance, depends very much on who is the president or the prime minister at a given time. Politicians and policymakers are not always the most informed people, and sometimes they do not consult with experts about what could be the best policies to implement for the benefit of the people. 
A second reason why we are not moving sufficiently fast is inertia. And this applies both to governments and to people in general. We tend to continue doing what we are accustomed to do. And fighting climate change implies change, change in capital letters. A third reason, Lorenzo, is somehow related to the second that I just mentioned. It has to do with the fact that we have developed consumption patterns and lifestyles that are not sustainable, that are causing the emissions of greenhouse gases. Let me illustrate this third point by quoting one of my favorite contemporary scientists and writers, Dr. Tim Jackson, who said the following in a conference that could be seen on the web. He said, the economic model based on consumerism, it's a story about people being persuaded to spend money they don't have on goods that they don't need mm -hmm. Yes. to create impressions that won't last on people <laughs> we don't care about. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. Sounds funny, perhaps, because it is so true for many people. We should really reflect on these kind of things. And we can all make an effort and to start changing little things and perhaps to go for big changes. So let's not do things for others we don't care. Let's not spend money we don't have. And let's think more about the planet, the, the humankind, and the future generations, Lorenzo. Yeah. That was a great answer. I love this. This, this the very, quote is wonderful. Yeah, this <laughs> very wise, wonderful. this very, very, very wise statement <laughs> statement. Yes, of course, the solution starts with the consumer. Then we have this leadership issue, this knowledge issue with governments that leads to hopefully better policies. And of course, at some point, if we do all this right, we will be able to break or to cut this inertia and bring positive change for climate change. Thank you so much for that answer, Adrian. Now I, I, now I know better. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> so this is very frustrating. Like there are three parts of the problem and and to bring them together and, and find a solution seems like you know a humongous uh, uh feat right so in your professional career as an advocate for taking climate change action what has been the most frustrating outcome and what needs to happen to bring a positive change uh, well, Jimena, I must confess I could share with you and the audience lots of frustrating oh, yeah. moments, but, but let me pick one which it will lead us also to a collective reflection. Uh, a frustrating experience over the years, in my case, has been to see how the car manufacturers around the world resist change. For decades, they all wanted to continue selling large SUVs that consume huge amounts of gasoline mm -hmm. and produce lots of tons of uh, CO2 emissions into the atmosphere. The car manufacturers have bombarded us for many years with advertisements telling us we will be better people if we drive their luxury, large, humongous vehicles, right? Yeah. Look, yeah. 
In Mexico and in other countries in Latin America, which I'm familiar with, the car manufacturers have managed to capture the regulatory agencies, which means that in practice, it is the car industry itself, the one that establishes the environmental and safety standards with which they have to comply. Imagine. This wow. is the reason why in these countries, they are lagging behind in their standards regarding the environment and safety compared to countries like the US, Canada, or some European countries. New vehicles sold in Mexico today and other Latin American countries are on average dirtier and less fuel efficient than the vehicles sold on average in other uh, developed nations. So this is just one example of many I could share with you, but uh, I am sure that if we continue working together, we will persuade or force these and other types of industries that there is only one planet that we all have to adapt, adjust and collaborate with each other because we all have the duty to save the planet. Yeah, that's just amazing, this ex example. And yeah, actually, it's the, as you will said, the industries, they set the standards, right? So it's another frustrating thing to add to the three you just talked about. So thank you so much. It's, um, we have to think and we have to start making our own decisions with new information and knowledge we get from the experts. Thank you. Adrian, uh, very interesting your answer. And, and let's move from, 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 from car manufacturing, this car manufacturer dilemma um, into some other areas of, of uh, climate change. In the first part of our program, we mentioned that there are some deniers of climate change. Some people have limited knowledge on the topic. Some people have no knowledge at all, but other people that are supposed to understand the environmental crisis claim that there is a hidden political agenda behind all this. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, well, Lorenzo, your question has to do with yet another reason why we are not moving faster to tackle climate change. There is a strong economic interest of some nations and companies that make a lot of money by extracting and selling fossil fuels, oil, coal, gas. It has been demonstrated that some companies paid pseudo-scientists for many years to raise doubts about the science of climate change and to make people believe that the problem did not exist. Some of these companies are facing legal processes today in courts for consciously orchestrating campaigns to slow down actions to protect the environment and the climate. I believe that today, 99% of the scientific community around the world accepts that we are experiencing a significant warming of the planet, which is directly associated with human activities, and that this phenomenon is totally independent of much larger, larger cycles of climate change that our planet has experienced in the past, such as the periodic ice ages. So the, 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 the information is very clear. Adrian, so this, 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 uh, the reason here has to do with the term 
Um, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit, bit on this question because I remembered something. This has to do with this concept that for some people was very difficult to understand, but it's very clear of stranded assets for the oil industry. That means that that eventually, and, and, and can you add a little bit on that? Eventually, all that oil becomes a stranded asset because the risk of burning it or, or converting it to CO2 is too high. What, what do you say about that? Exactly. The, the concept is simple uh, because we know now that we are not going to be able to use oil and coal and gas forever investing in new projects, in new oil refineries and new uh, projects to extract more, more fossil fuels, we are certain that those projects are not going to have the, the typical lifespan of 50, 60, 80 years. Those are going to be cancelled uh, in less than 20 years. Then they will become stranded assets. Thank you, Adrian. Well, we go here for the last question. Jimena, I'll give you the privilege of, of, say, <laughs> yeah. of, of so, making Adrian, the last question. Yeah, very quickly, because we're approaching to the break, but what makes you hopeful? Let us know what, what, what brings you hope. Well, let me quote another of my favorite British writers and philosophers, Bertrand Russell, who said, mm -hmm. the good life is one inspired by love and guided by knowledge. I think... This little phrase captures a lot of the answer. I yeah. do believe that human beings can be good and collaborative instead of being greedy and selfish. We need to be conscious about how our lifestyles are affecting the planet and therefore hurting humanity as well. But we must understand that the problem, uh, how the problem is and finding the best solutions. I am hopeful because the climate scientists have told us that we can still keep global warming within manageable levels, but we all need to act immediately. Let me finish by saying that as a regular citizen, we can do at least the following things. Let's look for the sources of factual information. Let's find out how each of us can reduce our carbon footprint. Let's talk to friends and relatives about climate change, and let's find channels to raise our voices to demand policymakers in our countries and around the world to do more to ensure the future generations have a chance to live in prosperity instead of living in a man-made harsh environment. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. These, these are, uh, we, we can start applying them now, actually, <laughs> in this moment. So thank you very much. This, this was very inspired, inspiring. And it's time for us to go to the next break. Thank you, Adrienne. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about the things you can do. We will keep talking about this, these things so your everyday choices are aligned with level efforts. Stay, stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon.
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. If you're tuning in, we have been talking about climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. Before the break, Adrian Fernandez shared with us a lot of insightful and inspiring information so thank you, Adrian, again for, for all that information. In our first segment, Lorenzo took us on a journey to the past. What was most interesting for me it was that in the last 30 million years, CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere have never exceeded 300 parts per million. We have had changes in weather like ice, ice ages where CO2 concentrations have come below 200, 200 parts per million. But it's a fact that human activity is changing the atmospheric composition and with that, the climate. Since the Industrial Revolution, there have been three main drivers of the release of CO2 into the atmosphere. One is the burning of fossil fuels. Two is the change in land use for food production. And number three is the intensive agricultural practices to feed animal proteins to billions of people around the world. Yes, and we have been talking about CO2, which accounts for almost 80% of emissions, but there are other greenhouses we want to address. But first things first, why are they called greenhouse gases? They got that name because they create a greenhouse effect that can be compared to the heat-trapping glass or plastic in a greenhouse. Greenhouse, one of those agricultural buildings to, to raise food or to raise plants. Now, to understand the warming effect, we need to know that the exchange of energy on the planet has two components. The first one is how energy enters the planet, and the second and most important is how energy leaves Earth's atmosphere. Energy from the sun reaches the planet essentially as light, but when that same energy leaves the planet, it does so as infrared radiation, which is what we experience as heat. Greenhouse gases reflect infrared radiation and make some of the heat leaving the Earth to bounce off and come back to its surface. 
Yeah, and, and we've seen that this greenhouse effect is actually a good thing because without it, our planet would be too cold for life as we know it. However, if the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere changes, the greenhouse gas effect, uh, the greenhouse effect changes too. What scientists are telling us is that if we keep adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, the risk of rising global temperatures will increase. Yes, and let me explain why. Regarding climate change, the most important greenhouse gas is CO2, which is why when people talk about climate change, you hear so many references to carbon. There are three main reasons why CO2, or carbon dioxide, is so central to the global warming happening today. First, there is just so much of it already in the atmosphere, and it lasts for hundreds of years. This means that even if we stop all new CO2 emissions today, it will take many lifetimes before the warming effect of our past emissions fades away. Second, many industries still rely on the burning of fossil fuels. And third, decayed plants and other biological materials release it, which is why deforestation is a huge contributor to carbon emissions. Yeah, and interestingly, carbon can be removed or sequestered from the atmosphere. It's absorbed by plants as part of a bioli bi biological carbon cycle, but it is also absorbed by healthy living soils and bodies of water, although we have already a lot of carbon in the oceans provoking their acidification. Let me bring up the second greenhouse gas in importance, methane, which accounts for around 11% of greenhouse gas emissions. It is emitted from leaks in the production and transport of fossil fuels and land use and the decay of organic waste in solid waste landfills. But mostly it is emitted as a natural result of the enteric fermentation of ruminants, which is more commonly known as cow farts. And burps. Oh, yeah. And also manure handling. Unfortunately, methane is many times more potent than carbon dioxide. <laughs> the not so bad news <laughs> is that methane lasts just about 10 years in the atmosphere. This is why it's considered a short-lived climate pollutant. However, due to its short life, methane is about 86 times more powerful than CO2 over the period of 20 years. This is why controlling its emission could give us better short-term possibilities to stop global warming compared to the slower benefits of controlling CO2 emissions. Yeah, however, it's always a good idea to reduce all possible emissions, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Work on many fronts. That's where we should be heading. Yeah. Now, let's jump to the third greenhouse gas, nitrous oxide, also known as the laughing gas. It is emitted from land uses, Agriculture from, from land use, agricultural and industrial activities, the combustion of fossil fuels and solid waste, and the treatment of wastewater. It only accounts for 6% of the total greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, but it is 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide, and it remains in the atmosphere for over 100 years. It is known as the laughing gas, but regarding its impact on climate, we could say it's no joke. No, no joke at all. Conventional agricultural practices use nitrogen-based fertilizers, which release nitrous oxide into the atmosphere. 
the growth of extensive crops has become the biggest contributor to the emission of this gas. We've talked about the nutrients in these fertilizers, potassium and phosphorus, that are also released into the hydrological cycle, provoking the eutrophication of massive water bodies. Yes, Jimena, and we will go deeper into the hydrological cycle in next week's episode. Lastly, there are also some fluorinated gases contributing to the greenhouse effect. These are synthetic, powerful gases emitted from a variety of household, commercial, and industrial applications and processes. Now, we've seen that these gases are coming from. We know now where they are coming from, but we have not talked about the things you and me and everyone can do. The challenge sounds enormous and unattainable by just one person. And you're right if you're thinking that, because this is a challenge we must face together. Yes, together. And it's sad that despite the warnings from the IPCC, we have seen an irresponsible and delayed response from governments and corporations all around the world. Our economy is focused on profits and without any financial or social incentive, we cannot expect these institutions to do the right thing. So we need to think out of the box. You are right, Jimena. Answers and actions must come from us together, the consumers, the citizens, the people. Yeah, yeah. And during the last episode, you mentioned the power of consensus. So let's carry on with that idea. It's not about changing everyone. We know that engaging less than 5%, most likely 3.5% of any population, is enough to start a movement for change. And the important thing is to start now, because if we keep waiting for someone else to start, we might lose our window of opportunity <clears throat> to change the climate tendencies, and we will fail in our duty as good ancestors. But if we start right now, you, me, each of us as individuals, we might be able to replicate this change in others. Yeah, and we know that we must bend the emission curve immediately and start the process of sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. And I see there's a conductive thread between the main three gases. And this, in this, in this conductive thread, you have total control and power. And let me start with deforestation, which is a huge contributor to carbon emissions. Why are we tearing forests down? Mainly to make space to plant crops that are not intended for human consumption. 70% of all worldwide crops are for feeding livestock in industrial farms. So managing livestock and growing food to support these animals has become one of the biggest environmental challenges in today's world. Methane is mostly the result of the enteric fermentations of ruminants, while nitrous oxide comes from the growing crops mainly to feed livestock. Exactly. Today, conventional agriculture is responsible for one-third of the greenhouse gas emissions, and 70% of those emissions are related to livestock raised to feed humans. Last year, we reached a worldwide population of 8 billion people. Surveys and census show that 94% of the population eats animal products to some degree. In some countries, people eat them at least three times per day. Think about this. If every person on the planet ate the same quantities of animal products as in those countries, we would need between five to seven planet Earths to supply that demand. Yeah, and the planet has no space for billions of large meat eaters. Industrial farms have already taken over 77% 7 
of all the world's agricultural lands between crops and industrial farms at the expense of a, a very inefficient system because animal products only provide 18% of world calories and 37% of total pro protein. Maybe you have not been aware of, of this, but what you put on your plate has a huge impact on climate change. And we have not even talked about the water used to raise and feed animals, which we will review in the next episode. Yeah, Lorenzo, so much to keep talking about. But we have to start acting now. A wise man once said, the best time to act was 20 years ago. The second best time to act is now. We have all the potential to dream big and create possibilities within impossibilities. But you can, but you will have to change to become the person you have been waiting for as quickly as, you're, as you can. Your life doesn't get better by chance. It gets better by change. So, Lorenzo, we're approaching to the end of this episode. Can you do a quick recap of the 10 facts we have reviewed? Yes. For more than, first one, for more than 30 million years, CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere never exceeded 300 parts per million until the 80s. In 23, we are already at 425. Second, we need CO2 in the atmosphere to keep the planet warm and cozy. <clears throat> Three, it was until the Industrial Revolution that CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere started to rise. Four, CO2 comes from the burning of fossil fuels and deforestation, methane from livestock management, and nitrous oxide from fertilizers used to grow extensive crops. Five, Climate is influenced by other factors besides greenhouse gases. However, temperatures have changed at a faster rate since the 80s. Six, emissions from humans' activity have increased global temperatures by 1.1 degrees Celsius. Seven, if we fail to reduce emissions, we will trigger a chain of events that will change the planet. Nine, eight, we are already eight billion people. Nine, Conventional agriculture is responsible for one-third of greenhouse gas emissions, and 10 industrial farms take over 77% of the world's agricultural land at the expense of very inefficient system to feed the world. Yeah, so we're coming to the end of a program. Remember to take action now. During this decade, change will happen. So uh, consider that everything is connected and honor that connection. I'm so excited about next week's conversation. Thank you, Lorenzo. And thank you, Adrián, also. Uh, we learned so much during this episode. Thank you for tuning in and joining us in casual conversations about health and nature in Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Nos vemos la próxima semana. We hope you join us next week. Hasta la próxima. <laughs> See you. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. We hope you've learned something new today that can help you in your life and how to make this a better planet. Until next time, have a healthy and regenerative week.